Hi guys, hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Irish Balance podcast. If you are new to this podcast, thank you so much for joining and if you're a regular listener, you are very welcome back. My name is Dr. Kira Kelly. I'm a public health doctor um, based in Galway at the minute, keeping busy. And some of you might know that I run the blog, the Irish Balance blog, and also the Instagram platform at the Irish Balance, which is really all about um, the concept of prevention being better than cure in, in medicine and health and sustainable, healthy living. Today on the podcast, we're going to focus on a non-COVID-19 topic. Some of you might be glad to hear. We're going to focus on uh, things I keep getting asked about, which I am not an expert in. So digestive or gut health, irritable bowel syndrome, um, and they're going to be the two main topics. And I'm delighted to have as my guest today, someone who many of you I'm sure already follow and who I'm a big fan of, Irish dietitian Orla Walsh. So Orla qualified as a dietitian from King's College in London after completing an undergraduate studies in physiology. She also has a master's in clinical nutrition from Roehampton University as well. And her personal areas of interest in nutrition are weight loss, disordered eating, irritable bowel syndrome and heart health. And she's also been professionally involved in sports nutrition as well, including being involved in nutritional management of several of the Olympic athletes who went to the Rio Games in 2016. And some of you might know already, but Orla holds a clinic in the Dublin Nutrition Centre and has a lot of media experience operating her own brilliant Instagram account, which is Red Fresh Air to follow. Um, and I think it's equal part science, a good laugh and a no nonsense approach to looking after ourselves with food, which I really enjoy. Orla, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. No worries at all. It's, we've been talking about doing this podcast episode for, for so quite long. some time. <laughs> so I'm really grateful that you've given up your time, especially on the Easter weekend, summer recording, to, uh, to have a chat with me. Would you be able to give our listeners a bit of a background to yourself? I know I've said a few things there, but just tell us a bit of your story of how you moved into nutrition, especially coming from a physiology background. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, in school, I was a maths nerd and I loved science Um, I could barely speak English uh, or any other <laughs> language for that matter. Um, I took on a two extra science subjects for my leaving so that I would actually have to count less uh, languages <laughs> for my points. Um, it went that far. Um, so yeah, I was just into science. So I decided to study that in, in college because I actually didn't really know what I wanted to do. I thought, oh, I'm a bit sporty. Maybe I'd like physio, which every physio listen is going to go, oh, come on. It's not necessarily <laughs> anything to do with that. Um, so anyway, thankfully, I studied science and I did general science. And then I was fortunate enough to get into a place in physiology because it was quite competitive and I probably scraped in at the skin of my teeth because <laughs> um, I was definitely bottom of the class in terms of uh, results. But um, yeah, so I did physiology and I still like I at that time, I didn't know what a dietitian was. Um, and we had a load of healthcare professionals come in and talk to our class because usually with physiology, people go on and do something else. And um, most of the class became doctors. Um, a dietitian came in and I say she only spoke for five minutes. But anyway, I went home and I told my parents that's what I was going to be. Um, wow. but yeah, but it's really at that time, there was, I think, six postgraduates and none in Ireland, Republic of Ireland. So one in Northern Ireland. I think there was five um, in Britain and it was really competitive to get into. I think now from memory, there might have been 350 applicants in 12 places for Kings wow. in particular. Yeah. And I wanted Kings, but like I would have been happy with anywhere. Um, but so in order to get into the dietetics course, I had to do a, a master's or qualifications in nutrition. So I did a 
because I knew I was going to become a dietitian, I did a postgrad in actually a master's in clinical nutrition, which is a master's that dietitians do. So I was doing the chicken mm-hmm. before the egg. And anyway, I was lucky enough to get into King's. I was delighted with myself, um, all 12 of us in the class. But it was really brilliant. It was the hardest two years of my life. Uh, bar none um I lost probably most of my hair um (laughs) it was so difficult but anyway I survived that and then I was working in hospitals in the UK and then some in Ireland and um an opportunity there was there was hardly any jobs available at the time like so total recession and um I was offered uh an interview for a job in a hospital in uh, in Dublin and um I was offered an interview for to cover a mat leave uh, for a self-employed dietitian, uh, Avian Bannon. And at the time I wanted to move back up to Dublin because I was in Cork and I was working for free for like eight months down there. And uh, anyway, so I got the both interviews. Um, I went to talk to Avian and I, I'm one of those people that like it takes me ages to decide what I put in my sandwich for lunch. But like <laughs> when it comes to big life decisions, I make them on the spot. And I chatted with her while well, I adored her first off. And uh, I covered her. She offered me the job. I covered her in Matt Leaf. It was just we knew that we were, you know, it was going to work out. And mm-hmm. I covered her Matt Leaf. And then I just stayed on and and I suppose you could say I rent a room within the Dublin Nutrition Centre, but I'm also kind of part of it. I don't know, it, it blurred lines there. And yeah. uh, But I've been there now, I think, eight years. Um, so I've been self-employed for eight years. But in that time, I knew I wanted to do sports stuff. So I did a postgrad in sports and exercise nutrition by night as well from the University of which. I think it was Ulster. Sorry, I'm losing track. And then so many universities. <laughs> um, yeah, so that then that kind of qualified me to work uh, with Sport Ireland and Athletics Ireland. So I was a performance nutritionist for Athletics Ireland um, and some of Sports Ireland uh, athletes for the Rio Olympics. So I did that for the Rio and then um, I decided I kind of wanted to go more into fertility and hormone stuff so I left there and um, I'm doing my clinic and writing for the Indo and writing for other people and on the radio and media stuff and the rest you know so no it's yeah. a good mixed bag so a very interesting job. Definitely a mixed bag um, and how did you develop sort of I know I mentioned a few of your personal interests there and you mentioned yeah. kind of fertility and hormone health how did you fall into those areas or what kind of drew you to them? Oh you know I like to be honest, do you know, I got uh, a text. No, I wasn't. I was watching the Rio Olympics. Yeah, I was watching one of my athletes perform. And mm-hmm. I, I got a text from a woman that said she had gotten pregnant and she'd been trying for eight years and so many failed cycles of IVF and everything else. And I got that text. And I was sitting with my husband and I started roaring, crying. And I had oh. no, and I, my, I had been watching the telly and I'd stopped so I actually it was one of those moments where you're just like I think that's where my heart lies Mm -hmm. you know so um and I suppose like personally you know my hormones were all over the place for most of my life so I'm sure there's a bit of um a selfish something or other directing me to um but yeah no I think your interests are are shaped by oh just everything in your surroundings and your family life and your own personal Mm -hmm. life as well so I'd say that's that's another reason and how do you find the social media world? It's something that you've obviously kind of grown into um, yeah. later on in your career. And I just wonder how you find navigating that, particularly with a busy day job, family at home, and yeah. then trying to balance. One of my biggest challenges I find is getting, I suppose, the information out there to enough people and then being careful with what we say as well. I think the more yeah. people you have following, the more cautious you are, I find. Oh, for sure. But I didn't start it for years because I was so scared of like trolling. 
Um, mm, yeah. And like I find Twitter awful. And well, to be honest, most of the people who troll me on Twitter are other dietitians. So I do tend to stay away from Twitter, but I'm going to get in so much trouble for saying that. But I stick to Instagram. Instagram people tend to be a lot sounder. And I suppose that's where I concentrate more of my efforts. And it's funny how you, you're absolutely right. There's a, such a level of responsibility on your shoulders and you can put out something that you don't think is in any way ambiguous and you get it from the first moment that you read it and you put it out there and there's so much confusion from your post. Mm. And that's the exact opposite that I want to create ever. Yeah. So I find myself, there's some moments and I'm like, I don't sleep. I break out in psoriasis head to toe. Like I've just, it causes me so many, so much anxiety when I can put up something and the information is never wrong. Like I would be careful, but it can be, um, add confusion to people or be in any way ambiguous. And, and I'm very anxious about that. And so, yeah, like it is hard. It is, it, it's challenging and, you know, and you're trying to do that as well without being an Insta babe, you know, like, because yeah. there's so many people who people follow their nutritional advice just because they're like hotter than you. And you're just like, Oh, listen, you know, I know my <laughs> stuff, but like they would have, you know millions of followers and you've so many so it's, yeah. it's hard to it's hard to put it out there and get people interested in it and make sure it's understandable um and in clear language and not ambiguous in any way but also super interesting and factual but not too long so there's so many bits yeah to parts so to play. it's actually much harder to be a healthcare professional on it trying to put across information and then being joe blogs with no responsibility no in a, you know, n- no governing body that's going to strike mm-hmm. them off if if they put up in any way inaccurate stuff. So yeah, it, it is super hard. It's it's so challenging, and I'm sure you probably people slide into your DMs as much as they do mine. But I really think it it is hard for people to understand that as well if they aren't coming from the same background about how I suppose we have to be so careful and cautious. And it's very easy to slide yeah. into someone's DMs and ask for a quick bit of advice, but. It's just something it's a big no-no for me. I know it, it's similar for, for you as well, but you're so right. There's so many challenges to getting your message heard amidst all of the noise and probably sometimes the more glamorous accounts that might be out there. Yeah. Now, Orla, one big area I wanted to touch on in this episode is something that I'm asked about a lot. And yeah. as I've just said there, you know, I, I we said this before we started recording, but I am such an advocate for staying in your lane and Gut health has become a really trendy topic in the past probably 18 months, maybe, maybe a little bit before yeah. that. Um, and it's something I wanted to talk to you about because um, it's not definitely not my area and I'm not working in a day to day and I'm so conscious of that. So first of all, could we take it back to basics and clarify what are um, gut bacteria or gut microbiome is the term we've all seen used? What are they? Well, it's 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 the main I suppose you have to look at your body as the biggest restaurant. Um, so we have around 38 trillion uh, cells and gut bacteria in our body. And when you put that into perspective, like there's 7.5 billion people in the world, you mm-hmm. know, and we're responsible for feeding all these bacteria and our microbiome, microbiome, which is the ecosystem that lives in our body, particularly mm-hmm. in our gut. So our gut is really, it's, it's a tube that leads from your mouth down to your bum and it's a muscular tube. It's a fancy one uh, with fancy things attached to it, but it is just a muscular tube and that's the home of most of this bacteria, well, a lot of this bacteria and they need to be fed. Um, and that bacteria has a significant impact on 
our health. And I suppose, you know, when we look at the evidence, it's growing all the time. And it's one of the most exciting places. Uh, bits of evidence, you know, and areas because it's really like an addictive podca- uh, podcast or Netflix show where you watch <laughs> one program and you're like dying to get on to the next because it is so interesting and it, it like the evidence really shows that our gut bacteria and our gut microbiome influence every system in our whole entire body and it's really central to our health. So if our gut health um, is healthier, we're going to be healthier. Um, and I'm really excited. In some ways, you could wish you could fast forward 50 years and find out what they're doing with regards to gut health there, because I think it's going to become, you know, such an important area for managing health, but also managing the administration of medicines and all sorts and even preventative um, care as well. So it's, it's just a fascinating area. And what are do what do our gut bugs do? I know you mentioned they kind of are, they influence so many different organ systems in the body, both physical and mental health. But what when we're looking after them and they're doing their job, like what are they doing for us? Why how are they benefiting our health and therefore why should people care about them? Well, um they influence things like gut hormones, um, energy supply, so calories in. Um, calories out, satiety, so feeling full, mm-hmm. um, inflammation, so controlling kind of pro-inflammation, anti-inflammation kind of stuff. Um, they produce uh, these little fatty acids that are important. They produce vitamins um, they break down things like toxins and carcinogens and you know, rid them from our body. They produce um, other kind of acid thingies that break down uh, food they help release uh, the chemicals or the compounds within plants that are so beneficial for us um you know they do so much um that you know they even have a really big role in our immune system Mm. as well as things like cholesterol metabolism and lipids and fat metabolism and then they they also eat food and then they feed the cells in our our gut and they also eat uh, the food that we can't digest and feed it back to us um so they do so much what's interesting and coming out um you know the evidence for is coming out more and more is um the impact that they have even on the medications that we take and how useful some of the medications that we take are to us and why some medications aren't useful to some people but are to other other people so really in terms of diseases they impact lots so the likes of obesity and metabolic disease and they're obviously none of these things it's it's like multifactorial for all diseases but Mm. they do influence in some way such as even cancer uh, promotion and cancer protection Mm-hmm. Um, irritable bowel disease and of course irritable bowel syndrome heart disease um, you know even in just terms of general health uh, supplying of nutrients and calories to us um, it, it, they're, and they protect us against infections as well so to be honest the list goes on and on I could I yeah. can name nearly every health condition and linked yeah and do you think that there's do you think the public are getting more and more aware of the importance of good health or do you think it's a case of lots done and lots more to do to get people like yeah. really thinking about day to day, how how is what I'm, I'm eating, you know, improving my digestive health? Yeah. So in some ways, um, I wish that we held off. It's kind of like waiting until we had more um, research done before we actually release it on the public, because mm. at, at the moment, what we know to release it on the public, it's not enough for public consumption yet. 
So, for example, the obsession with probiotics and, you know, people are taking probiotics all the time, but we don't know enough yet um, to be able to prescribe probiotics as much as we want to. So, sorry, for people listening, probiotics are basically they're live microorganisms that we take. And when we take them in adequate amounts, they can uh, they have a health benefit to us. So. People are obsessed with taking them, but the majority of the probiotics out there are utter rubbish. So they actually don't even make it to the intestines to do their job. Um, And some of the probiotics don't even contain what they're supposed to contain. So the majority are complete rubbish. But, Mm. you know, they can infer health benefits to a person when they're taken in the right amounts for the right thing. Um, But it is important to note as well that even when we know that a certain probiotic helps with a certain condition, the same probiotic can have a different impact in one person's microbiome than another because it does depend on the microbiome present there already, as well as the other conditions and diseases, as well as the current fiber intake and the variety within their diet. So we still don't know enough on probiotics, I feel, and I wish we'd held back from the general population Mm. and never discussed them until we knew more. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's definitely something I've witnessed as a doctor looking outside in from this, not yeah. working with patients and, and in terms of their dietary intake day to day and more the public health. So we tend to take a step back and go, OK, what's the evidence? What's the population level message? Um, and yeah, it's something I've definitely observed on social media and from various wellness events that I would have gone to or festivals. And there's a lot of promotion of supplementation um, yeah. without nuance. And that's always a bit tricky and dangerous potentially um if if we're not nuancing it to the individual because it all you know we are all unique we all have as you say different um microbiomes and what's I think that's a key message really what might benefit one person may not benefit the other yeah it's completely individual and as well I I just hate the amount of waste in terms of financial Mm. waste of them because a lot of the probiotics they're so useless that the gut but the gut or stomach acid just gets rid of them like straight off the bat and like you know so they're complete financial waste so they actually and most of them don't wouldn't do you any harm but really what people need to be focusing on instead of expensive probiotics is actually going you know fiber is the fertilizer for the microbiome so Mm. you know fiber is so important and that's what we need to be focusing on um so like our so the who say that around one in ten people are probably meeting their fiber intake so the average yeah like 80 percent of us don't eat enough in ireland wow yeah and that's probably sound uh sound statistic because i think actually the fiber uh recommended fiber intake should be higher so we Mm. to be honest we should be taking in around 30 grams of fiber a day and um you know and the the benefits of fiber are huge you know even like fiber is associated with reduced risk of uh, colorectal cancer which is a fairly common enough cancer Mm -hmm. but so for every seven grams of fiber you eat extra per day so just say two tablespoons of linseed right or a pear and some berries or even changing from uh, you know, maybe white carbohydrates to brown ones, you would get a 9% reduction in heart disease, a 9% reduction in heart attacks, a 7% reduction in strokes and a 6% reduction in type 2 diabetes. And that's only increasing it for by about seven grams per day. Say that again now. I just want everyone to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> per seven grams per day. So that's if you added, and linseeds is black seeds, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. if you had just say two tables, I'll, I'll 
give a couple of different um, ones. So um, if you were to have, instead of having cornflakes or Rice Krispies, any brand, and you were to switch to porridge or um, a, a decent granola, so a lower sugar granola or a higher fiber breakfast cereal, or if you were to just add a couple of tablespoons of linseed or flaxseed to your diet or chia seeds um, or an extra two pieces of fruit or vegetables to your diet. So that's kind of where you get seven grams from. And mm. with that seven grams, you would have a 9% reduction in cardiovascular disease, a 9% reduction in heart attacks, 7% reduction in strokes and a 6% reduction in type 2 diabetes. So massive. Yeah. Like massive. really, really, really big. But it's also shown to decrease how much we consume in terms of calories. And that's okay. important too, because two thirds of us are overweight or obese. It's really common. But mm -hmm. it's worth noting as well that four in 10 of us have gut issues. Okay. And, you know, I think a lot of people would benefit from a really good poo every day. So, <laughs> sorry, I'm total dietitian. So no, straight to it, straight to it, go on. <laughs> the majority of people poo anywhere between three times a day to three times a week. But the average, I guess, is one poo a day. But I don't think people have one decent poo a day. Mm, okay. And I think a lot of people would benefit quite a lot from a decent poo every single day um, and pooing in the right position. I don't think people actually uh, poo in the right position enough. But the thing is, is that if your gut is irritating you, you I find a lot of people don't realize how much their gut disorder is affecting their quality of life, mm. because it's only when you get someone who has gut issues and relieve them of all their symptoms so they're symptom free they're in recovery from their gut issues do they actually realize what normal is and when we look at statistics on IBS for instance where it's supposed to be the the case that more women have IBS than men but I was in a campsite in France right and it was communal and lots of different campsites. So sharing a toilet with boys and girls. And what I heard was not normal. Like it's seriously not normal. So most people have weird, like they, they don't realize that that amount of flatulence or that amount of straining mm. or that amount of diarrhea, it's just not normal. And it's, and I wish people knew what normal was because it's amazing how much of an impact diet can have. So if you're talking about normal frequency of stool, did you say the range there is anything from three times a day to three times per week in terms of the actual range? Or is there an average that people should be looking out for? Obviously, this is going to be um, totally dependent on so, so many different factors. Um, over 90 percent of people poo somewhere between three times a day to three times a week. But I think most people need to poo once a day and a good poo at that. So if someone's just listening and going, oh, I don't poo that much. Orla. So mm -hmm. I would think so if you're just say a little bit constipated, I would say look at your water intake. So get your weight in kilograms times by 35. And that's how many milliliters of fluid you need a day. So most of us um, need over two liters anyway. And then look at your exercise levels because exercise is so important for making sure that your bowels open regularly mm. and fiber is. So again, I'm saying that 80% of Irish people don't eat enough fiber. So if you're listening, you, you're probably one of those. Um, if you just say, are constipated and want a simple takeaway message or kind of a prescriptive approach. People love prescriptive approaches. They do. They do. Uh, I would say 100 grams of prunes a day or two kiwis a day um, can help with constipation. Okay. And I know you said they are kind of should be looking at in terms of fiber intake, we should be looking at 30 grams per day. Yeah. What does that look like? We've talked about what seven grams look like because um, that could be a huge change for someone. And obviously, 
I think yeah. if we're talking about improving fiber intake, it's a case of, you know, small steps over time and to improve. I presume it's a, yeah. not probably the best idea to go from zero to 30 in a oh, given yeah. day. <laughs> Certainly not. So, yeah. it, it, you know, increase your fiber intake slowly. So big wins. So big wins would come from the likes of beans, peas and lentils. So like a, um, a tin of baked beans, you know, the 200 gram tin or the smaller tin that would yeah. give you 10 grams of fiber. 10. Wow. That is yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. And then most fruit and veg will give you anywhere between one to three grams of fiber per okay. serving, but some would be more than others. Um, so the likes of berries, because there's tiny little seeds in them. Pears are deadly, pears have loads of fiber, so like twice the fiber. But linseeds or flax seeds, as they're also called, as well as cheese seeds, would be, they would have anywhere between two to eight times the fiber content of any other nut or seed. Wow, okay. Yeah, so they are, they are easy wins for people. Mm. And then, you know, the sticks made a brand any brand of all brand basically and yeah. sorry I'm not promoting any brand but no, that okay. cereal that cereal has three times the fiber of bran flakes so everyone confuses wow. bran flakes and all brand all the time but yeah. all brand has three times the fiber of bran flakes unbelievable okay. so even sprinkling a bit of that into their porridge would make all the difference so yeah. all brand has three times the fiber of porridge no way yeah Oh, oh super gosh. high. So these are kind of the easy wins. And Big people wins. love easy wins. Yeah, because they can just lob a few in on them and carry on then with the rest of their life. And Orla, do we get much bang for our book? Obviously, there is health benefits to doing this, but from swapping our whites for browns. And when I mean, by, by that, I mean, like, you know, swapping white bread for brown bread, swapping white pasta or rice for brown or wholemeal or whole grain varieties. Is that much bang for our book? And is that worth doing? It's worth doing with most grains. Funnily enough, the difference between brown rice and white rice. So white rice, picture a whole plate of white rice. It's got mm. no fiber in it. Okay. Pick a whole plate of brown rice. It's still got two grams. So rice right. is actually a low fiber, um, a gr low fiber grain. Mm. So um, it's not the highest fiber. But in other things, yeah, absolutely. So most yeah. carbohydrates, you'd get at least four grams of fiber in a serving if you go for the brown ones. But the brown ones, it's not just in terms of the fiber. It's also in terms of how full they make you feel and um, they'll keep you fuller for longer they'll keep your blood sugar levels more stable and they'll have other benefits too like reducing the risk of certain cancers um heart disease they might lower your cholesterol um so it, it's the knock-on effect of those guys so the other thing is is that when you're choosing the brown ones to the white ones they usually contain the three layers of the grain the brown the germ and the um the middle bit and the three layers of the grain you get three layers of nutrients specifically that um, the bran is kind of the fiber and the germ is where all the vitamins and minerals are. So, you know, you want those three layers of the grain because then it's not even just a case that they have more fiber in them. They have more vitamins and minerals and, and they're more nutritious. OK, so that is bang for your book, even in and of itself. Oh, yeah, OK, definitely. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. And if someone wants to start improving their fiber intake day on day, is there like a, a rough amount? Like, would you go up by kind of uh, like we talked about that seven gram serving per day or like I know this is going to depend on the individual I'm just thinking of someone listening who goes okay I want to start working towards that 30 a day where do they start I would let their gut guide them because okay. some people have guts of steel and other people <laughs> have very sensitive guts and also it depends how 
anxious and your gut motility at that time. So our gut transit, my favorite way to see how long it takes for food to go from your your mouth into the toilet is by this, what I call the sweet corn test. And it's very (laughs) unscientific, but you eat a bit of sweet corn and you wait until you see it. And that's how long your transit time is. So some people have guts of steel and then there'll be other moments like, you know, like I'm super anxious at the moment over the whole COVID stuff so mm. like my gut transit would and everyone's gut transit who, um, who's a little bit more worried at the moment it might be a bit quicker so yeah. you're, when it is quicker your gut tends to be just a little bit more sensitive so how much you can take um, might be different to another time in your life um, and one person definitely differs to the other so I would let your gut guide you I would do it little by little okay great. but when so- you're increasing your fiber increase your water too or yeah. else you end up like a block, uh, blocked kitchen sink. You know, and no one's <laughs> and nobody wants to be that. No, no yeah. one wants to be a blocked kitchen or sink. Full, or full of gaff. <laughs> yeah. No, and also not a good shout. Um, now, you mentioned probiotics there. And we have, as you said, seen an explosion in so many different brands yeah. um, of supplements. And there's a lot of chat about prebiotics, too. Can you tell us the difference between the two of those things? OK, so probiotics are the live organisms that... Yeah when you take them in a specific amount have a specific health benefit to that person um the prebiotics um i suppose they're the special type of fiber that help the good bacteria grow in numbers or activity but it's it's very specific again so you know they're the non-digestible bits of our food basically and they selectively stimulate the growth or activity of the microbiome of specific bits in the microbiome in our gut uh, microbiome biota so and again they have to be shown to confer health benefits so when something gets um awarded and said you're a prebiotic or you're a probiotic that's a really big award um Mm -hmm. but then loads of companies are breaking uh legislation and they're you know calling themselves a probiotic or prebiotic when they're not and they're um saying that they do loads of wonderful things on the packaging and again that's breaking uh you know food labeling laws Okay. And nutrient labeling laws. So, you know, it, it but there are there are plenty out there. And, it, you know, there is a fair amount of research that they do some good stuff like prebiotics have been shown to help with bloating and things. But the problem is with prebiotics is they feed the gut bacteria and sometimes people, so your gut bacteria and your gut microbiome, if you were to actually visualize it as a garden and imagine if you never cut the grass or weeded or anything or didn't look after it at all, it would run wild. And Mm -hmm. when it can run wild, um, there can be kind of gut disorders and gut issues uh, as a result of that. But one thing, so for example, if someone has IBS where they might have pain or discomfort, bloating, uh, irregular um, stools, maybe constipation dominant or diarrhea dominant or kind of going in between the two. Mm. There is a really good diet to help kind of figure out, do you have any intolerances? Because a lot of pharmacies even, which I don't know how they get away with it, sell um, intolerance tests and you can buy them online. And all those tests, they're very unspecific. They're they're total nonsense. And they some of them cost up to 500 euro. And they really just tell you, have I eaten re- recently or not and you know you don't need 500 euros worth of a test to tell you that so they come back and tell you you're intolerant to x y and z and it's completely made up so the thing is is that if you think you have an allergy you really do need to well firstly as a website I encourage you to go to the IFAN website so IFA 
AN and it gives you guidance on what you need to do um, if you think you have an allergy. So, um, you know, you would get blood tests, like your GP will refer you on. Um, you might get blood tests, you might do skin prick tests, all these sorts of things. But if you're wondering about an intolerance because you have IBS, there is a diet these days and it's kind of um, these guys, um, Shepard and Gibson discovered it, I think around 10 years ago or maybe just a bit longer in Australia. And it's called the low FODMAP diet. And it's really if you have IBS diarrhea dominant, it's incredibly effective. If you have bloating or gas, it's incredibly effective because often there is something, a fermentable carbohydrate that you're intolerant to, that when you actually reduce in your diet, you can be relatively symptom free. And it's amazing. It works in more than 80% of people who try it. And who like, so this is something that I have been asked to share before, um, specifically quoting quotation marks being low FODMAP recipes which obviously as I said I don't I don't go into that it's not my area at all it's very specific and I I'm kind of loath to even encourage that sort of thing so I'm just wondering could you explain what um what FODMAPs are and yeah what does the low FODMAP diet involve okay so um it's what it stands for which no one's going to be able to remember but yeah. no one needs to know but fermentable oligosaccharides disaccharides monosaccharides and polyols. so they're fermentable short chain carbohydrates so the idea is especially in people who have ibs that they with diarrhea kind of dominant or else bloating distension they, what they do is you do an exclusion diet with a dietitian for somewhere between four to eight weeks and then it goes in three phases. So firstly, you exclude them. Then you bring them in with the help of the dietitian in a very specific way to, it's the reintroduction phase, to find out what you're intolerant to, but more importantly, how much can you have before you're symptomatic? So mm-hmm. often people can have a certain amount, um, but just not a lot. Knowing how much you can have is really helpful because it helps you implement it into your life, which is the third phase. But it also means that if you know specifically what you're intolerant to, there can sometimes be a specific enzyme to help you digest that. So, for example, if you were lactose intolerant, you might know, okay, I'm lactose intolerant um, over a a certain amount. So I can either avoid it or buy lactose intolerant or lactose free stuff. Or if I go over a certain amount, just say you were out a sunny day and you wanted a 99, you could have it, but take lactase enzymes. So when you know what you're specifically intolerant to and how much you can have before you're symptomatic, it's really helpful for you to include it into your diet. The mistake people make is they go low FODMAP and they stay low FODMAP or they try to do it alone. And what they would do is they kind of get stuff off their Internet, which is always inaccurate. They follow it um, and, you know, they get half results or something like that. And it's it's it can be counterproductive in the long term because they end up with a very restrictive diet and then they end up with a diet that actually changes their gut microbiome again. And that can lead to issues further down the line as well. I'd imagine it could make you feel quite lonely if you're trying something like that on your own and you're trying to guide yourself without any kind of professional help. Oh, yeah. And often people come in, they're like, oh, listen, I tried on my by myself for a while. And yeah. you know, here because I was so confused and I, I didn't know what to be eating. And the problem is if you start a diet, especially with IBS. So if you start a diet and it's confusing and it's stressful um, and we know that stress implement, uh, affects the gut, 
you know, you're going to end up not having any benefits from that because yes, is the flow FODMAP diet, even a skewed version helping? It probably is. But because you're so stressed about it, your gut is exacerbated by that stress. So the end result means that you get very little if no benefit or it can make it worse. So, you know, I think it is worth considering um the low FODMAP diet if you have IBS but there's other things as well that are important to note and I know you'll love this one because you're a yoga head but (laughs) yoga yoga does decrease um inflammation and improve gut issues and it has been shown to be quite effective and the other thing is is that uh mindfulness is supposed to be brilliant as well and has been shown in evidence to be brilliant so anywhere uh you know if you do more mindfulness a day so 15 minutes a day for eight weeks or maybe you do 10 minutes a day for 12 weeks weeks, but both of those have been shown to be really effective in terms of improving gut health. Okay, that's so helpful. Loads to think about there. And you mentioned kind of different types of uh, predominance within IBS in terms of symptomatology, I'm assuming. And I've been asked about this, about IBS quite a lot. And while obviously it is something that we learn about as doctors throughout our training, I feel like particularly now that I've moved into public health, um, I'm kind of low to post about topics that I'm actively not talking to patients about or working yeah. with patients on day to day how does this so everyone I'm sure is, is aware we've already said it in the podcast but IBS irritable bowel syndrome how does that diagnostic process go like you know well, like, I, how does someone end up with you guys you know having found a diagnosis um so usually they go to their GP and mm. say you know they're having gut issues and I think where people feel like oh they ruled out everything else so it must be IBS but that's not the case so that you know GPs will certainly rule out sinister stuff especially if you have any red flags so like if you're over 50 and they're new gut issues or if there's blood in your stool or if there's a family history of bowel uh, cancer or something like that or other bowel conditions and diseases so you know those things will be ruled out but IBS really there are different ways of kind of diagnosing it and different criteria. But generally speaking, if you have um, um, where your stools, your stools can be abnormal and some people have normal stools, but then they have bloating or distension. Um, they can have uh, pain or discomfort from that bloating or distension in particular. Um, they could be diarrhea dominant, so very loose stools for a while, or they can cycle between loose stools and and constipation or they can be constipated quite a lot so um irritable bowel syndrome tends to have those uh those three in them but the thing is is that people tend to also have other symptoms such as like fatigue like they can be extremely tired by it um and from it um they can um you know uh they 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 can their mood and anxiety levels can be affected by it because mm. it affects people so much so if you have just say ibs diarrhea dominant like think how much that would affect someone's day they would need to make sure they uh, go to the loo before do a poo before they leave the house or they need yeah. to know where the toilets are if they go to a shopping center or somewhere new or they panic going abroad in case the food will upset them because they know what mm. to avoid and what not um or even the bloating that's like that changes especially as women it changes what we wear so people end up with two outfits every single day or they come home from work at their waistbands digging into them because they're so bloated you know so the impact of ibs on someone's quality of life is is so profound and you know the thing is, is that I think what people do is they 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 can wrongly pinpoint something. So, for example, someone might go, I'm gluten intolerant. 
But actually, they, don't get me wrong, some people are right. But the thing mm. is, is that when you cut out wheat, barley and rye, which like gluten is found in and gluten is a protein found in those guys, they cut out the fermentable carbohydrates that are found in wheat, barley and rye too. Mm. Um, so some people kind of go, oh, it's gluten, but they cut out wheat, barley and rye, but they get benefits. But it's not because they've cut out gluten, it's because they cut out the fermentable carbohydrates in them. And I think that's a really important point because some people go, oh, if I follow a gluten-free diet, I feel better, but they don't feel completely better. And that's mm. probably because they're pinpointing the wrong thing. Yeah, and it's that danger of trying to, I suppose, go down this path on your own or like just pick out yeah. recipes that are shared that are low FODMAP without knowing what you're actually cutting out. And I'd imagine, yeah. as you said, it can end up extremely restrictive. Um, oh, and yeah. if that's and done without supervision, that's very dangerous. Yeah, and like just because your mate Sharon's doing it doesn't mean like that yes, you yeah. should, you know. And because our gut microbiota is, is, is like, put it this way, 100% of humans have the same 18 bacteria in their gut. Mm. Then when we go to and um, bring up the bacteria, 90% of humans have the same 57 bacteria in their gut and only 50% of humans have the same 75 bacteria in their gut. So our guts differ wow. from one person to the next. That's a really interesting statistic. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. As I <laughs> <laughs> um, Orla, I just, there's a couple, one, a couple of other questions I wanted to ask yeah, you on the topic. I think I could talk for days on this, but um, we talked about there just to jump back a little bit um, probiotic supplements and you've talked at length about those which is really helpful what instances are these thought to be are these uh, in the right dose for the right person in the right indication um, what kind of instances in that, in that sense are these supplements potentially beneficial for like or for whom if that makes sense according oh, yeah. to the okay. research we have well, according to the research we have, there like the likes of Saccharomyces boulardii is is um, quite good at preventing traveler's diarrhea, and right. also because you know when people take antibiotics, thirty yeah. percent of people get diarrhea from antibiotics there or thereabouts. And again, that same one Saccharomyces boulardii is quite beneficial. So um, taking it one week. Uh, uh, after you take the antibiotics and also during it. Um, so, you know, that's quite a good one. There's there are probiotics that you can take for bloating and distension. Um, again, I'm, I'm, it's hard to say it without saying the brand. But um, oh, yeah, no, that's fair. We won't, we won't get into yeah, specific ones. So there, yeah. there are ones uh, specific for uh, bloating and distension. The only problem with that one is you have to take it every day and it, it will stop working as soon as you stop taking it. So okay. it doesn't well, that other one will help. Um, you know at, at that time you know the problem with these ones that you have to continue taking is that they cost around a euro a day but then the same company actually has a wonderful um probiotic that um has been shown to help with anxiety and stuff um so that's really important but you know not to oversimplify the gut brain axis because it's not just about the bacteria it's also you know the nervous system the blood and immune system um yeah. but you know <laughs> There's other ones in the supermarkets, the little drinks that actually do uh, help. Uh, one of them in particular helps with constipation. Um, so that's quite good. Um, but again, it, the problem with these is they, they are quite expensive. So, you know, if I were someone and I wanted to improve my gut microbiome, um, I would encourage people maybe, okay, focus on a Mediterranean style diet. If you want to actually improve your mood as well, a Mediterranean style diet um, has been shown to help um, in some people. So you're aiming for higher levels of fiber. So definitely over 30 grams. And even um, in terms of uh, mood and gut um, 
mood and food the Mediterranean Mm. diet higher fiber as well as extra virgin olive oil in the diet for around 12 weeks has been shown to help with um, mood in, in, in many people but I would focus on the fiber aspect and just go okay the fiber is the fertilizer for the gut so am I getting enough and then I would focus on the variety and go am I getting as varied diet as possible so am I varying the fruit am I varying the veg am I varying the carbs am I varying the nuts the seeds and um, the legumes because often people don't so mm. I know myself when I pick up beans other than baked beans I always pick up butter beans but yeah. I always and I never pick up the other ones and I really need to start or I always pick up chickpeas mm. um, or when it comes to fruit I tend to pick up the same ones now it's what my one-year-old would eat as well <laughs> but you know I do think that we actually need to vary our shopping list um, and I follow the seasons as much as possible because it's not only a more sustainable approach, but actually encourages variety as well. Mm. So at the moment, I'm buying the ones that are in season now because they were not the same ones that were in season three months ago. And again, that encourages uh, variety in my diet. Um, And I use a lot more frozen veg than people would People are always surprised by how much frozen veg I use. But again, yeah. it's it's that to, well, it's handy, it's affordable. It actually mm-hmm. takes out preparation, but it does increase variety because you can sprinkle a little bit of this and a little bit of that into your dinners as well. So I would en- encourage people instead of kind of expending money on probiotics, mm-hmm. I would just actually look at how much fiber I'm taking in and then the variety of plants that the fiber is coming into my diet from. I love that. And I think it's a great time for people to try and look at that variety as well, because like, for example, I went to the supermarket at the weekend and there were no chickpeas to be found anywhere that's in my local Tesco. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They probably is because you stole them all exactly. But that's the thing. Then I thought, OK, well, what are these other beans that I have not tried? And like you, I love butter beans, but I'm really trying to force myself to buy things like cannellini beans or kidney yeah. beans or black beans and make that opportunity make that an opportunity to try something different um like if there aren't chippies doesn't mean you can't make your chili or your curry or whatever you were going to make you just try it with a different bean and you're trying something a bit new as well it's not actually a pretty good opportunity to do that but if you want a prescriptive thing which people love um, yeah around 40 grams of walnuts a day for three weeks has been shown to improve the beneficial gut bacteria Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And decrease secondary bile acid. So, you know, again, improving uh, gut symptoms. So, yes, um, you know, I think people need to branch out, especially with the tin stuff. Mm -hmm. And you'll find that once you're putting into a curry, so you're not going to notice anyway, um, or bean burgers, which is my new favorite thing to do for lunch. But yeah, no, I'd encourage people to branch out for sure. And we're all devils for not doing it. We are. I'm, I'm guilty as well. And I really try. I mean, my my tag on Instagram is the Irish balance. I really need to put a bit more balance into my bean consumption. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, when, when it comes to looking at your diet, I encourage you not to be, a, you know, have a human centric approach. Think that there's much more bacteria than you and where the, you know, where their restaurant, where their food, where their providers. So I would think about not just feeding you and your body, but also the bacteria that and the microbiome that live within you. I love that, Orla. Thank you. And there's one last question I'd like to ask before um, I finish this podcast episode. Could you give this something I ask every guest when they come on? um, Could you give the listeners one tip as a take home from today to help them bring a little bit more Irish balance into their lives? Now, I know we've talked, you've kind of given a a great one already about starting with fiber and then variety. But if you want to stick with that one, work away. But I just always ask if there is one tip you'd give people to take home. Yeah, I would encourage people to think outside the box with everything because our every element of our surroundings and our lifestyle implements 
um, every aspect of us. So even if we take gut bacteria, I've talked at length about food. I've mentioned briefly mindfulness and I've mentioned briefly yoga and stuff like that. But everything, even, you know, how we cycle home will affect our gut bacteria because the mm. pollution affects our gut bacteria. So, yes. you know, if you're if you're actually thinking about change, if you want to change, let's say, your gut bacteria or your gut health, you actually have to think not just we, we're desperate for looking down one lane. So just yeah. doing exercise or just doing food or just doing um, the psychological stuff. But we actually need to think outside the box because it's everything in our surroundings will impact. We know that mood impacts our gut. So therefore, the music that we listen to will impact our gut. So everything it is you just need to completely think outside the box because we know that absolutely everything in in interacts um, uh, you know we're we're such a small part to play we're just the host Mm -hmm. so yeah I would I would just think outside the box completely and think holistically um, and not just focus or go down one lane. So if we have a little bit of a dance around the kitchen while cooking which is what I tend to do I can't say I dance well but that's a double (laughs) benefit then really is it? (laughs) It is definitely. And you get a triple benefit if you sing poorly. Oh, yeah, I definitely do that. Definitely do that. Only when my housemate's not in the same room as me, obviously. (laughs) Orla, thank you so much for giving your time to the Irish Balance podcast. This has been such an interesting episode. I'm actually going to listen back to it myself and just make some notes because I just thought it was just fascinating. Could you let people know where to find you? Um, Obviously, there aren't really many events going on right now, but if people do want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Well, uh, so my business name is Orla Walsh Nutrition, so O-W-N, so own your health. So my Instagram handle is Orla Walsh Nutrition. My Facebook is Orla Walsh Nutrition. My website is Orla Walsh Nutrition. My email address is info at orlawalshnutrition.e. Um, the only one that's different is Twitter because it, I didn't have enough characters. Um, so <laughs> Orla C. Walsh. Um, so that's where you find me. So, um, you know, happy, even the private messages and the DMs, mm. I read all of them um, and I try to incorporate them into my stories or into my posts and stuff like that. So please do get in touch. Um, and if you want a one-to-one, just uh, look up on the website. Fantastic. Orla, thank you so much. I hope you have a lovely Easter weekend with your family. I hope there's some Easter chocolate coming your way. Tomorrow. So much. It's all half eaten <laughs> already, but sure. Yeah, I, I, I held off until Sunday. Oh yeah, for, yeah. I sure. I opened my Easter egg today to make brownies, and I would like to say I didn't eat any of it, but that would be a lie. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm working tomorrow, so I actually think it's fine. <laughs> Orla, thanks so much. I'm um, really Thank looking so forward much. to hearing what people think, guys. If you did enjoy this podcast, do let us know. You know where to find Orla. You can find me at the Irish Balance. Give us a tag on your Instagram stories if you are listening in. And as always, you can get in touch via Instagram for me or drop a comment on the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you guys next week. Thanks, Orla. Bye.